Well, uh, Julie and I would like to thank you for your prayers for us as we traveled. Uh, she asked, I think yesterday or the day before, I, you know, I've got one of those odometers where it reads the total mileage. The car has 160,000 plus on it now. But you can also, I use it to, you know, in legs of the journey and I'll go so far and I fill it up with gas and then I figure out what my gas mileage is. And then I got, have one, a third one that keeps track of how much, uh, how many miles we traveled total. We traveled 2,636 miles. Safely. Safely. I'm, something I noticed, um, and I should have, you know, I've taken note of this in Colorado. When you enter a town in Oregon or Idaho, you know what the sign says at the bottom? It gives the name of the town, and you know what is below? Population. You know what's, what it is in Colorado? Elevation. Elevation. Kind of tells you what they're proud of here, doesn't it? We're proud of how high up in the air we are. <laughs> the air's thin. You know, I've been to a few of the Colorado games. It's, that's one of the thin, University of Colorado football games, and they talk about how thin the air is and how soon you're going to be gassed and, you know, you're going to start feeling dizzy. I think it's a effort to discourage the other team, and I don't know, maybe it works. Scrooge in the Dickens story, A Christmas Carol, has always been a difficult guy for me to figure out. How could anyone hate Christmas? I love Christmas and most, not all, that goes with it. There are some things about, you know, the Christmas season that I don't enjoy that much, but I enjoy, enjoy most of it. My mother loved Christmas and perhaps her influence is why I feel about the season as I do. I remember the excitement of going to buy a tree. We went to the same lot every year that advertised fresh-cut Montana Christmas trees. And when it came time to put up the tree, it went into a bucket that we filled with rocks because we didn't have anything as fancy as a Christmas tree stand. Mom had a bunch of Christmas records that we listened to all season long. We would stack those 32s. Remember how you could do that on the record player? And when they'd all play, we would turn the stack over and play the other side. Almost every year, Mom would add a new record to her collection. Something usually produced by somebody like Firestone or Goodyear that featured a variety of recording artists. I don't, I'm, I'm, every year they produce one of those. And in fact, recently, my dad uh, passed a couple of years ago and... Um, my stepmom sent home this past year uh, a bunch of my mom's records, so I've got those in possession again. And our oldest daughter, mindful of that, actually bought me a record player. So, uh, do you know what that? <laughs> then there was the. Then there were those Christmas season sweet treats that mom made. You know, different kinds of cookies. And she made really great divinity. And uh, chocolate butter scotch and peanut butter fudge. That was just, you could expect that every year. And you could always count on Dad to bring home eggnog and Claxton's fruitcake. That the civitans around town sold out of little booths every year at Christmas times as a fundraiser. I don't know if we have civitans here. They're a... 
they're a uh, civic organization like the Lions or somebody like that. And, of course, Julie and I have developed some of our own traditions. We have certain Christmas movies that we watch every year. You know, favorite ones. Uh, have you, any of you ever seen Claymation Christmas? It's great. You've got to get it. If you... And now, after years of collecting, we finally are able to decorate our Christmas tree entirely in authentically painted birds. None of this frou-frou stuff with glitter and feathers all over. These look like the real thing out of nature, I'm telling you. And um, we carry on some of the things, same things we did in our homes growing up, especially the music thing. Uh, we both love Christmas music, but now we tend to use CDs instead of records, although we're going to be hearing records again. And something that for me that has occurred to make Christmas even more enjoyable is internet shopping. That has helped brighten my season a whole bunch. <laughs> Remember I, I said that I love Christmas and most all, but not all that goes with it? Well, the crowd, you know, the, the traffic jams and the crowded malls and stores are not my thing. I don't mind sitting at my computer and ordering that way. So hallelujah, I've been delivered from those things via the internet. Yes, I love Christmas. But for some, the season isn't merry. Christmas can be a time of sadness, lost hope, and discouragement. You know, we sometimes we'll look around and see people who seem to be healthy and happy and full of Christmas cheer, and yet those feelings and, of warmth and joy seem to elude us. Our lives aren't experiencing the happy endings that are so often portrayed in those Christmas specials that we see on television. However, there is hope. Max Lucado writes, If your Christmas is a difficult one, take, then take heart. God is still on his throne. He is still in control. He still makes princes out of prisoners, counselors out of captives, Sundays out of Fridays, and brings beauty out of Bethlehem's. Just consider Mary, the mother of Jesus, who faced some, some of the most troubling challenges and the most glorious surprises as she gave birth to her firstborn son. So, I think there's some things that Mary and what she experienced um, in that first Christmas, there's some things that Mary can teach us. And the first is this. God is Lord over Christmas chaos. You ever feel like your Christmas season is chaotic? can be for a number of reasons. At that first Christmas, Mary faced some very daunting difficulties. First of all, there was the social stigma of an unwed pregnancy. I don't know if you understand Jewish wedding tradition in that day anyway, but there was a betrothal period where the, the, the man and the woman were betrothed to each other, and, and in that system it was considered legal. They were legally married, but the marriage had not yet been consummated. They had not yet come together. That's why the scripture tells us that Joseph, when he found out Mary was pregnant, was quietly planning to divorce her. Because he would have had to go through those legal steps of divorce. 
And by the way, the consequences for pregnancy, which in this case would have been viewed as infidelity, could have been much more serious than just divorce. Worst case scenario could have led to Mary being stoned as an adulterer. So there was that thing that Mary faced at that first Christmas. And then she's pregnant and she has to travel from Nazareth to Bethlehem. Now, I know traditionally we view Mary on the back of a donkey, but the scripture really doesn't tell us that anywhere. Um, So she might have been on the back of a donkey. She might have been on foot. We really don't know. The distance by road would have been at least 90 miles And scholars vary in their opinions about the amount of time it would have taken to make that journey. Probably depending on how far along Mary might have been at that point. We tend to think of her as, you know, nine months. But the scripture doesn't tell us really that either. And I'll I'll mention that again in a moment. But the scholars say it could have taken anywhere from four to ten days to make that journey. And we do not know how far along Mary was. The scripture just tells us in Luke 2, verse 6, while they were there, the time came for the baby to be born. So it's possible that they could have gone to Bethlehem maybe weeks or a month prior to the birth of Jesus. We really don't know. One could assume, however, that she was fairly well along, maybe eight months, seven, eight months along, Because it would have been financially difficult for them to pay for lodging over a long period of time in a city where they did not live at that point. Any way you look at it, the trip from Nazareth to Bethlehem was probably neither easy nor pleasant for Mary. And then Mary gave birth to Jesus in an animal shelter and placed him, her newborn son, in a manger. Probably not a mother's dream about how the birth of her baby would take place. And although Bethlehem was Joseph's ancestral home, we do not know if Joseph and Mary had ever actually lived in Bethlehem prior to this. We know they came from Nazareth at this point. So, in all probability, because people did not tend to travel far from home very often in that day... They were, they found themselves, even though he might have had distant relatives in Bethlehem, they probably found themselves among strangers when they arrived there. And because the people, because the people area of the inn or guest house was full, Mary and Joseph had to take shelter in the area where the animals were kept. And when we went to Israel last year, about this time of the year, We went to Bethlehem and we saw a place that might have been the place where Jesus was born. And uh, our our guide told us that, um, you know, it was a cave. And he said probably what was done at that time was there was actually a shelter built on the front of the cave. That's where the people stayed. Back in the cave is where the animals were kept. And I think we've had this picture probably over time that's been developed by things like the crush we have on the back table that they were out here somewhere away from everybody. But in all likelihood, there was probably quite a crowd around. I don't know how comfortable that would have been for Mary either. So, uh, Mary faced some very difficult challenges 
at that first Christmas. And in spite of, or maybe because of, these difficulties that Mary faced, God's plan for the birth of his son was perfectly fulfilled. Mary and Joseph were protected and provided for. Prophecy was fulfilled. Jesus was born where he was supposed to be born. He was born when he was supposed to be born. So through a scandalous pregnancy, an imposed census, an untimely trip, and an overcrowded inn, God triumphed in Mary's story. And folks, God is able to triumph in your circumstances, in your story too, whatever that story is or those circumstances are. God was in control of the chaos that confronted Mary on that first Christmas, and he is in control of the chaos that you may be facing at this Christmas time. The second thing we learn from this story of, of, of the birth of Jesus that first Christmas and what Mary experienced is this. God has a face and is with us. God has a face and is with us. At that first Christmas, Mary gazed into the face of God. Does that impact you? Do you realize that Mary was the first human being ever to do that? Let me take you back to the Old Testament, to Exodus chapter 33, verses 18 through 20. Remember, Joseph, uh, excuse me, Moses wanted to see God's glory. Let me share that passage of scripture with you. Then Moses said, speaking to God, now show me your glory. And the Lord said, I will cause all my goodness to pass in front of you, and I will proclaim my name, the Lord, in your presence. I will have mercy on whom I will have mercy, and I will have compassion on whom I will have compassion. But, he said, this is God speaking, you cannot see my face for no one may see me and live. And Mary looked into the face of God. Isaiah's prophecy in chapter 7 verse 14 in the angel's announcement to Mary in Matthew chapter 1 verses 22 and 23 said her newborn would be called Emmanuel which means God with us. Jesus entered our world not like a human, but as a human. This is not a Star Trek story of some alien assuming human form in order to deceive us. No God in Christ was fully human in every way. He became one of us. And as such, knows what life in humanity is all about. We talk about been there, done that. That's what God has done. He experienced it all Himself. Jesus laughed and cried. He was hungry, thirsty, Cold, hot, angry, frustrated, hurt, disappointed. He skinned his knees, got dust in his eyes and dirt on his feet. 
He knew what it was like to be rejected, made fun of, and doubted by those closest to him. And in Hebrews chapter 4, verse 15, where it speaks of Jesus as our great high priest, it says this, For we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize or empathize with our weaknesses, but we have one who is tempted in every way, just like we are, yet he did not sin. And because God became one of us, he understands how we feel and the struggles we face. He connected with us. A medical missionary, George Harley, in 1926, lost his son Bobby to a deadly tropical fever. George had seen very little response from the Mono tribe to his gospel teaching and medical care. When, when Bobby died, an elderly man of the Mono people saw George weeping in deep grief at his son's grave. The elder went to his people shouting, White man, white man, he cries like us. George's weeping face changed everything about his ministry. Thousands of mono began responding to his Christian witness. Folks, that's what we see in Jesus. Someone who laughs with us. Someone who cries with us. Someone who's been there, done that. Have you ever heard the, the Paul Harvey story of the birds at Christmas? The man who is a good man, a kind man but he just can't buy into this God-became-human thing. So at the Christmas Eve, his, his wife and their two sons are going to go to a Christmas Eve service, but it's like, you know, it, it, it's fake for me to show up. I don't buy into this stuff. You guys go ahead. And so off they go. And He's sitting by the fireplace reading, and suddenly he hears a thump on the picture window, and another thump, and another thump. And he goes outside. It's begun snowing, and... There are birds that are fluttering and flopping around in the snow and, and the snow's gotten heavier and heavier and they basically lost their way and tried to fly into that window into a place that looked like it might provide shelter and warmth. And he's thinking to himself, what can I do to help these birds? And so he, 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 re, he remembers the barn that his, ch- his children's pony was kept in and he goes in and turns on the light and then he strings breadcrumbs out into the barn but the birds don't pay any attention so he tries to shoo them in but they just scatter in every direction. And he's concerned, what am I going to do to be able to communicate to these birds that I'm trying to help them if only I could become a bird? And at that moment, the Christmas bells ring in the distance. And he falls to his knees in the snow. And he said, oh God, now I know why you did what you did. He became one of us. So what do we learn from what Mary experienced in this story today? Well, first of all, we see God in the face of Christ. John chapter 1, verse 14, this is the New Living Translation. So the Word became human 
and made his home among us. And in 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 6, again, new living. For God who said, let there be light in the darkness, has made his light shine in our hearts so we could know the glory of God that is seen in the face of Jesus Christ. Could I encourage you this Christmas, fix your eyes on Jesus and discover that you are seeing God himself. The second thing we learn from this story is this. The God among us rules the universe. God controls the chaos that troubles our lives. Jesus healed the sick, fed the hungry, cast out demons, and even raised the dead. He is with us, our Emmanuel. And if this is a difficult time in your life, will you cast your cares on God who cares for you? He is with you and He is for you. And then this, God gets you. God gets you. Just like His mother Mary's life, Jesus' life was full of both joyful delights and unspeakable difficulties. And Max Lucado says, God gets you. That is, he knows you and he loves you. He can help the best because he has suffered the worst. He knows what you are going through. And again, will you choose this Christmas to surrender your life and your circumstances to God who has a human face. Turn your eyes upon Jesus. Look full in his wonderful face. And the things of earth will grow strangely dim in the light of his glory and grace. Pray with me for a moment, would you? Lord Jesus, we praise you today that you were willing to put on the flesh of humanity and humble yourself like a servant, an obedient servant, even to the point of death on a cross. I can't imagine what you gave up to do that for us. And thank you that the scripture tells us of your birth and those who are key parts of that story. And we think especially today of Mary and what she faced, but the faith with which she faced those things, because she did face them with faith. You had called her to a specific task, a specific ministry, and she was obedient in every way, and you were faithful to see her and Joseph through every hurdle, through every challenge that they faced. And help us, Lord God, today to learn the lessons of that first Christmas. To realize that in the face of Jesus, we are seeing you, Lord God, yourself. And to know that we can surrender our lives to you. The God who has a human face and is greater than the circumstances we live with. A God that we can cast our cares upon because you do care for us and you get it. And Father, if already in, in the busyness and sometimes hectic pace of the season, help us to slow down. 
Help us in our hearts and minds to take time to come to the manger and look into the face of God. And to remember that as good as all these things are, the baking and the trees and the decorations and parties and the get-togethers and even the worship services, the reason we do all this is because Jesus came, Emmanuel, God with us. Thank you, Father. Thank you for loving us enough that you would send your only begotten Son, in whose name we pray.